So it's springtime in Minnesota, time of new life. I love it. I love the warmth. I mean, it's one of the things you love about Minnesota is getting past winter, right? I mean, winter is great when the first snow falls, but by the time it gets to be about March, we're all really done with it. And it's great when spring comes, new life. I would say it's time of new life in the Norell family as well, as I think you've heard, Emma Riley Norell was born into the world. Praise the Lord. Exciting times for us. Janet and I had the privilege of being over in Amsterdam and being around caring for the other two girls and receiving this new beautiful baby into this world. Born in eight pounds, healthy, beautiful. It was a time of great joy. We had just put the girls to bed and they were at the hospital and we got the call, she's here. The text like, whoa, she's here. They're like, come on down. It's like, all right, let's get these girls out of bed. And we, in Amsterdam, you walk down, we're at the fifth floor and grab a train and cross the city. And it was all worth it. It was a beautiful time as a family watching these sisters receive their new little Emma into their home. Very precious. And so Emma and I, Emma came home the next day and Emma and I had a talk. You know, she's, Grandpa's holding on to this girl, saying, all right, now let me just tell you a couple things. Um, number one, you're in. You're in. Your last name is Norell. You're in this crazy family, for good or for bad. You're in this clan. And let me tell you a couple things about this clan. We love Jesus. So that's a good place to start. We love family. And you will always have a place in this home. You will always find food. There will always be a bed for you. And Grandpa will always come and find you. Wherever you are, whatever's going on, I will find a way to get to you. Just want to let you know, she thought it was a good idea, so we were, we were tracking. But may I say to each of you that God loves each of you far more than I love my granddaughter. And that his love for us goes far beyond what any human love be. And so my, my challenge to us as we get started on the message today is would you open your heart for new life? No matter where you are in Christ, how many of you have arrived? I don't think so. So no matter where you are in your walk with Christ, let's just say, Lord, breathe new life into me this morning. In this season of springtime, Lord, bring new life into me. Help, I want to break out from some of those things. You know, it's not just the new people in Christ that need to grow. It's some of us who have walked with Christ for decades who get complacent. Sometimes even worse than that, sometimes our hearts become cold and we lose the, the joy and the vibrancy that we had at earlier times. And I say that's not necessary. We can continue to grow in Christ and say, Lord, it's a new season. Breathe new things, bring, breathe new life in me. But we have to have the open heart to receive that, like we receive the new granddaughter into our homes, into our family. Let's be those who receive new life of Christ in this season. You with me? Yes. Praise the Lord. Not only did we have the joy of receiving Emma into our home, but Janet and I had the privilege of ministering to a DTS, which is a discipleship school with Youth of the Mission, for a week. And I tell you, that's something I cherish. You've got about 40 students and staff above that 
gathered together and you get to pour your life into these young people who are hungry to grow in the Lord. And that was, those are privileged times because it's, it's great to speak to young people who are still trying to figure out their life and are saying, I want to grow in Jesus. They're hungry. And I would challenge any of our youth that are here, young people, that a DTS, a Discipleship Training School, or some other type school, there's lots of other organizations that have good programs. It's a, it's a really powerful time. Because some of these students, as we had lunch and we're talking with them, we're saying, you know, I grew up in a Christian home, but I'm still trying to figure it out. I'm still trying to figure out what's mine. I'm trying to figure out how I relate to God, because I relate to God a little different than my folks relate to God. And I, I'm trying to work this out. And I think a DTS or a school like this is a wonderful place for young people to get established in the Lord. We've watched too many people get picked off by the enemy, right? You've watched friends and family and children. And I say, you know, it's not, there's no magic pill. But there are principles and ways that we can help young people get established in their walk with the Lord. And I find great joy watching people, watching young people experience God in a fresh way. We sent out last Friday, we sent them out all over the world to be ministers of the gospel. And, you know, there'd be those who would look and say, shouldn't you have them a little better prepared? Um, shouldn't their theology be a little more formed? Should, these aren't necessarily your superstars. And I can no, they love Jesus and that's about enough. And they'll figure it out somewhere in the process. While they're sharing their faith, they come to find out more what it is they really believe. And so we sent them out to Israel, India, Georgia, Curacao, Mongolia. You take these 40, you go, now go. It kind of sounded, it kind of felt like maybe what Jesus must have, must have felt like was his disciples. They weren't all prepared. They had not arrived, and yet he sent them out to bring the good news of the gospel. Because we don't trust in the messenger. We trust in the truth and the reality of Jesus, right? And when we go preach him, lives get changed and people get transformed. So thanks for sending us out to Amsterdam to minister, to be with our family. It was a wonderful time. Let's pray as we get going. Father, I thank you for your love for us and for so many more people. God, I ask that even this morning, you would expand our hearts. That, Father, we would not resist what your Spirit wants to do in us. But that, God, we would receive that new life, new challenges, new things that your Spirit wants to speak to us, even this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen. As you probably know, we've dedicated 2019 to be a year of strategic discipleship. What does that mean? That means that we're giving our lives this year, we're saying, Lord, help me to grow as a disciple of Jesus Christ. We realize we have not arrived, that there's much more that God has for us, and we're saying, God, change me. God, adjust things inside of me. May I look different at the end of this year. Because what God is looking for is life transformation. He wants to transform things in our relationships, in our families, 
in our friendships, in the way that we interact with the lost. God wants to shake us up. So I like that little statement that says, change or die. Now, change or die does not mean that we have to accept every new idea that comes floating past us. That's not what I'm saying. Somebody listened to my message and said, I don't like your message because we shouldn't change everything that God's done in us. I'm going, no, we don't want to change the good, the powerful, the foundational truths of the gospel. We don't want to just move with every whim of our culture that's going by. Not at all. But we do want God to develop us and grow us into being more mature followers of Jesus, right? So in that sense, change or die. Don't be those. If you ever hear yourself saying, well, you know, that's just the way I am. If you ever hear yourself saying that, slap yourself across the face. Do something. Shake it up and say, you know, if you're, that's not what God wants you to be. He doesn't want you just to say, this is the way I am. Live with it. Now, I agree we need to love people as they are. But God wants to continually grow us, change us, transform us. So we're moving forward. I think life is kind of like riding a bicycle. Standing still doesn't work very well. Maybe with your feet down, but if you're trying to ride a bicycle and you're trying to balance still, it doesn't work very well. And riding backwards is a really bad idea. I think we got a little clip on that. Riding backwards is just a, it's a bad idea. Don't be that guy. We want to go forward. (laughs) Friends thought that was funny. Um, We want to be those who are riding forward. One of our joys in Amsterdam was we rode bicycles all over the city. And we got to put our grandkids on the bikes with us. And I think we want to be those who are moving forward. This is me taking the girls to school. Let's be those. Let's be those who are moving forward in our walk with Christ. We're growing as disciples. We haven't arrived, but we're continuing to move forward. So last month we talked about our prayer life. We talked about the importance of prayer. If your life is prayerless, or if our church is prayerless, there's going to be problems because prayer is our communication with God. One of the first things the enemy wants to do to attack your life or your family or your personal growth is he wants to destroy your communication. One of the most important things I have in my relationship with Janet is our communication. We talk throughout the day. It's part of our growing as a couple. Same way with God. We want to grow in our prayer life. We want prayer to permeate our homes. I challenge you to have your home be a place of prayer where you're You're praying with those who live in your house, be it a spouse or kids or roommates or whoever that would be, to have your house be a place of prayer. Anoint your rooms. Pray over all your your bedroom, your bathroom, your kitchen. May your house be a place of prayer. But true disciple makers, true disciples are those who make disciples. I want to say that again. A true disciple is always a disciple maker. It's not enough to say, I am a follower of Christ. I am following him, which is a wonderful thing. But part of following Christ is to multiply. Part of following Christ is to learn how to disciple others. And you know, during my life, I'd hear that and I think, what does that mean? 
how do you disciple somebody else? They go, I'm discipling Joe. And I think, are you reading the book together? What does that look like? Are you praying together? Are you meeting? What does it look like to disciple someone else? And I want to put a little meat on that this morning. Because we realize that following Christ is bigger than just us. I like the book uh, 40 Days of Purpose or Purpose Driven Life. First line is, it's not about you. A pretty bold line to use to open your book. But it's not just about us. It's about that God wants to use us to impact the world. We've been blessed to be a blessing. We've been given to share with others. We're to be conduits or rivers of what God does in us. And I don't know about you, but I find great joy when I find that my life makes a difference in somebody else's life. You with me? You've had that where something you said, maybe just on a phone call or walking with somebody, you say something, you pray for somebody, and they come back and say, you know, that really impacted me. That's in the DTSs. I remember we were teaching on just some communication principles, and a student came to me the next morning and said, you know, I, uh, I called my mom last night. My mom and I have troubles in our relationship. We had the best conversation we've had in years. Thank you. And I thought, love it. Somebody actually listened and took it and put it into practice, and it made a difference in an important relationship in their life. I go, hallelujah. That brings joy to my heart. And that's the kind of joy God wants for all of us. So we, last number of weeks, we've talked about evangelism, how to share. Ben Pierce, I've been listening to the messages this week. He's from Steigard Ministries. He challenges us to take the gospel to those who are far from the gospel, those with, who will never consider coming through the doors of this church, those that think negatively towards our faith in Christ. They need someone to go. Someone who will go. And I love the fact that Steigard Ministry has bands like No Longer Music. I actually got to hear No Longer Music back in the 80s on that boat in Amsterdam. And they were insane. They were so loud. I, mean, I count myself pretty open to new ways of ministry, but they were like, there's a metal boat, and it was just screaming music. And yet they, had, they reached people who were never going to come to my Bible study people with all color hair and trench coats and painted faces. And I'm like, well, I'm way out of my comfort zone. And yet they came for the music and heard the gospel. I went to one of their launch concerts over at Grace Church. I think my favorite part is when one of the guys lit his head on fire. These, I'm like, his head's on fire. Yeah, that, you know. And we might wonder, you know, I look at those things and I think, wow, that's some... Um, that's out of the box, but you know, if it takes lighting your head on fire for someone to hear about Jesus, let's all light our heads on fire. Let's do what it takes, not sin, not, I'm not talking that, I'm saying they are determined to do what it takes to gather people so that they can hear of a Redeemer. They can hear of a God who loves them, who sent his Son to forgive them of their sins. And they're willing to do whatever that takes. I appreciate that. May that same passion, I think the best part I loved of his message, 
It really touched me. He said, God, may God break our hearts. And I like that because otherwise what we hear is rules and more agenda and more things to do, more things to feel guilty about that we're not doing. But when God breaks our heart, when we experience life and we see people who are lost and we realize that we can bring life to them, may God break our hearts, then it's a whole different game. It's not a matter of checking something off a list. It's a matter of moving with the Spirit of God to reach people who need Jesus. And then Gary Gilbertson talked about our 15 words to heaven. Anybody want to try those? Anybody got those 15 words? <laughs> did you put it up there? Is that what you did? Yeah, hi, hi. Boy, you are a smart crowd. That's great. So, God loves us. We are sinners. Jesus paid for our sins. We must receive Jesus. Very simple. We have some, a stack of those cards out at the Welcome Center. Feel free to stop by. You can just, anything. You, know, you don't know when your little word, your prayer, your card will impact somebody's life. But this morning, I want to continue that theme of evangelism and share how we share our faith with the world. And I like to make it simple. So here's the message this morning in one word. With. Say that with me. Pretty simple word. Um, There's actually a book with that title called With. It's on a little different direction than where I'm going this morning, but it's a great book talking about our relationship with God, how God wants us to be with him. I recommend it. But this morning, let's open our Bibles to Mark 3, 13 through 15. Mark 3, 13 to 15. And the setting here is Jesus is about 30 years old. He's been growing up in Nazareth. He has been a carpenter. I can only imagine the beautiful carpentry work that he did. Imagine the artistry that Jesus must have had, creating tables and chairs, doing it with integrity, waiting his time for the launch of his public ministry. The time finally came, and in that time we see different things. We see that he turns water into wine at a wedding. I like it that Jesus loved to celebrate. He was there to bless a marriage. His mother gets involved. He turns water into wine. He gets baptized by John, filled with the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God descends upon him. He takes time, goes out into the desert. He wasn't in a hurry. Took time to fast and pray and to really get fully anointed and established. Who knows exactly what was going on, but he was found power in the desert, has a battle against Satan where Satan tempts him with all the major temptations. He wins his battle, and he steps into ministry. He's got three years. He may have, I don't know if he knew his time exactly, but he's got three years of ministry ahead of him, and it's time for Jesus to launch his international kingdom of God coming transforming ministry. You ready? It all, you can kind of hear the crescendo of the orchestra. It's time. It's all come together. The stars have aligned, and Jesus is going to launch his ministry. 
And this is what he does. Verse 13. And Jesus went up on the mountain and called to him those he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that, here it is, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. That's it. That's his big plan. He's going to transform the world, and what's he do? He, he finds 12 guys that he selects, brings them, and he says, let's go be together. And honestly, I looked at that and I thought, really? That's your plan? All the nations of the world and your plan is gather 12 guys and let's go hang out together, and we're going to change the world. You know, my question would be, what would your plan have been? Your job is to bring the kingdom of God here on earth, you. And your time has come, what would you have done? You say, I need a plan here. There needs to be some way to make this happen. What would you have done in the place of what Jesus did? So I, I thought about that. I think I would have opened a seminary. We need a school. A discipleship school, a seminary, I would have wanted to train these common men in good theology. I would have written a long list of rules because they'd have to know the rules of the game. I would have certainly prepared a manual, what to do in these situations. I would have written it out. And I certainly would have had a doctrinal statement so that they were teaching truth and they were correct in their theology. Honestly, I would have probably done those things. I'm not mocking those at all. Those sound like good ideas to me. But it appears that Jesus believed that faith was more caught than taught. It appears that he realized that they needed relationship with him. They needed to see faith in action more than filling their minds with truth. Now, time out. What I am not saying, I am not saying that theology is unimportant. I am not. Let me tell you what I am saying. Theology is vital. We want to make sure that our truth, that what we're who we're serving and understanding is truth. It's accurate. Because truth is not relative. It's extremely important. And Jesus, as he walked with them, he taught them about the kingdom. He taught them about God. He taught them about the Father, what the kingdom was like. And he, he used lots of stories to tell them about the kingdom. But Jesus did not teach them in a classroom. He didn't invite them to church. He taught them by saying, come be with me. In the context of his life, they learned their faith by watching Jesus. So he called his disciples to be with him. And I thought of this crowd, I thought, you know, 
when we have problems with the students we send out, one of the criticisms had been, you need to choose better students. Fair point to that. I might say the same to Jesus. You, need to, you should have chosen better disciples. These guys were problematic. They were not highly educated. They fought among themselves. They positioned themselves for places of honor. And yet Jesus chose 12 really common people, and to me that brings me real comfort. I feel pretty common. And it brings me comfort to look and say, if God can use Peter, if God can use John, if God can use Matthew, there's hope for me. And God wants to use common people. And I think sometimes some of you may be thinking, thinking well, that be used by God is for those pastor types. To be used by God is for those full-time and ministry types. To be used by God is someone other than me. And I just want to say, no. Jesus wants to choose you because you're able to take the gospel in places that I'll never get to. You're able to impact people that I'll never meet. You're able to go into your business, into the schools, into your neighborhoods. And God has positioned us strategically to be a light in those areas of the world. And so the disciples, he invited them to travel with him. He invited them to eat with him. He invited them to, they slept under trees or in homes. They lived life together. And I look at this world that we live in here in America, and we're so isolated. We live in our own little kingdoms, our own little palaces. But God's calling us to live life with others. You know, I think Jesus knew that in three years he'd be returning to the Father. And he knew these disciples would have challenges in establishing the kingdom. And I think these disciples would often say, well, what would Jesus have done here? And they'd think back to how he ministered to the woman at the well. Or they'd think back of how he ministered and cared for children. Or they, they saw his life, they saw the kingdom, and they said, I know what Jesus would have done. And they would model their lives after him. You know, the word Christian um, started in the city of Antioch, and it meant little Christs. So they looked at these followers and they went, those are like little Christs. They maybe aren't quite where Christ was, but they're followers. They're, they're, they act like him. They talk like him. We can see Christ in those followers. I've actually wondered if we should if it's always best for us to use the word, I'm a Christian today. I don't think it's a biblical mandate that demands that we call ourselves Christians. It's been a term of great importance. But another possibility is to call ourselves followers of Jesus. Because in our society, some of these words like evangelical or Christian have taken on meanings that are not true of who you and I are. And I'm not locked into a term. 
I'm locked into following Jesus. And if it's better and it has more life for us to say, well, I'm a follower of Jesus, people might go, well, wow, what's that? And you'd have the opportunity to explain better who you are, what it means for you to be a Christian, not to be a member of some organized church as the first and foremost in your life, but as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And these disciples were changed by being with Jesus. And my, my take home today, this morning for you, is that maybe we need to look differently at how we disciple others. The model of Jesus was a wonderful model. He said, come be with me. And I think it's easier for us to try to think of a program or a methodology or a piece of literature to use in discipling others. And those programs and methodologies are good things. But what about asking others to be with you? Who is it in your life that you're saying, come be with me? Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about somebody coming to be with me to learn of Jesus, I think of my failings. I think of, well, do I really want them to see that part of my life? Or do I really want them to see, I don't know, I mean, they should follow Jesus. But Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And I like that. It's like, where you see Christ in me, imitate me. Where you see things that are not so Christ-like, pray for me. Help me to continue to grow. But I believe that Christ would call us to invite people to be with us. And I'd ask you the question this morning, who could you invite to be with you in this journey of life? And what does that mean? I think of my nephew, Jeremiah, who some of you know, I love that young man very much. And so, like, when we go up to Boundary Waters, I'm like, hey, Jeremiah, come join us. Come be with us. And so he joined the Norell family, and he's part of us, and we head up there, and he watched how we worked together. He watched how we'd camp, and how we'd set up camp, and how we'd, in the evenings, take some time to sing, or talk, or share life. And I believe discipling happens as he came to be with us. Not because we've attained anything, not because we're perfect, but we're a family that loves Jesus. And you got to see, what does that look like? It's, it's interesting, as I teach in schools, in YWAM schools, I can teach all this great, wonderful information that I think is just life-changing. And you know what they say when they write the little thank you card? They go, I like watching you and Janet. I'm like, really? I mean, I mean not all these, not, I, you're... Point three of day four was just life transforming. That happens sometimes, but more it's like, you guys like each other. And they just aren't used to seeing a couple that likes each other. Or that ministers together, or that serves each other. And it's not, it's not rocket science. But they see a marriage that's working, and they say, there's hope. Maybe we could be more like that. And when we sit down at lunch... They're always asking about, so what worked? How did you meet? How did this work? They want relationships that work. 
in Christ. And so in that I could say, be with us, watch us, live with us. I, I appreciate there's some different families here that are having different people live in their homes with them. Discipleship is taking place as you're eating dinner, as you're washing dishes. I remember one of my buddies watching me wash dishes one day going, dude, you got to stop that. Uh, guys don't wash dishes. And I go, and that's why I'm happily married and you're still single. <laughs> right? You know? Uh, yeah, yeah. How, do you, how do you grow? Yeah, it's pretty, pretty basic. You wash dishes. You change diapers. I watched my son changing his newborn's diaper and caring for her and carrying her at night. And the, they send medical people to your house for five days in Amsterdam. Pretty cool. You get five days of medical help in your house. And they say, we're just not used to seeing fathers involved. This, he's like, what? It's my baby. But they saw something different in a father that's caring and attending his daughter. With. As I prepare messages, God always challenges me probably more than even he challenges you. And I realized that God had spoken to me about some neighbors that are available for me to be with, but I haven't had time for them. And in the last couple of days, I talked to Janet, I'm saying, it's time, isn't it? It's time for me to make time. And instead of honking or waving as I drive by, I need to stop. I need to get out, grab a lawn chair, and go be with some neighbors. Because if I'm going to be the light of Christ in my neighborhood, we got to hang out together. They need to know who we are. They're not going to come knocking on my door and say, tell me about Jesus. With. My heart for us is that we would learn to be with people who are needing to grow in Christ and that we learn how to be a verbal witness of Jesus. Now, I've seen so many television programs where the Christians always look like jerks. You seen those? They're always just, not always, but often you get the Christian who's preaching or condemning or, and it bugs me. But we don't have to be that guy. But we do need to be that guy who, or that woman who is available to our neighbors, available to our co-workers, available to others, and that at the given time will be able to be an appropriate verbal witness of Christ. So somebody's at work and they're sick, or they're going to have a surgery. Can you say, Hey, would you mind if I prayed for you? Doesn't, you're not shouting at them. You're not, turn or burn. You're just loving them in the love of Jesus. You know, when someone's going into a surgery, very few people are offended about someone praying for them. Normally, they're a bit nervous, and they'd appreciate any support they can get. What about inviting someone over for dinner? 
What about going hanging out at somebody's house, mowing their yard? Looking for ways to model the example of Jesus that we'd go be with people or invite people to be with us. Either way works. But it takes initiative. It takes effort on our part. And my heart for us as we disciple others is that it would be a heart issue. So I want to close this morning in prayer that God would speak to our hearts. Guilting anybody into anything is a really bad idea. There's no life in it, not any fun. But when God speaks to our hearts, then everything changes. And we have a motivation to care for people in ways that that come through the Spirit of God in our lives. So let's pray. Father, I thank you that you came to be with us. Emmanuel, God, with us. And Father, I pray that we would open our eyes to the world around us and that, God, we would make decisions not simply to complete a method or a program. We're not looking for notches on our Bible, God. But God, we want to be the light of Christ in this world. Help us, show us where to be with others. That others could come and see Christ in us. God, there's so many hurting people in the world. So many people that are lost and lonely. So many people that may even look great on the outside but are in need of a savior. God, help us to open our schedules, our eyes, our hearts and to share lives with people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you're looking for prayer, if you're in need of any physical healing, this is a Sunday where our elders are together with the ministry team. We're available.